Welcome to ContenderCast, a leadership conversation centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for downloading. It's Justin Hahnemann on the ContenderCast for shining a light on bright ideas. Today, we're in the beverage space again and on the podcast, I'm one of my new friends, Umberto Lucchini. He's the founder and proprietor of Wolf Spirit Distillery. Umberto, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. And thank you for having me. It's a I pleasure. couldn't wait. This one we scheduled like weeks ago, and I was so intrigued by your company and your background, and uh, I just couldn't wait to jump in. So let's start with your background, consumer goods guy, Philip Morris, Campari, etc. How did you decide to go from you know a big-time marketing role there to starting your own business? Yes, I think uh, this is the kind of... It's a conjuncture of many factors, and I think the number one ultimately has been me moving to the U.S. nearly 15 years ago. Oh, wow. And you, ha- you have to imagine the Italian conservative Catholic good old boy uh, building his career under a big company and big companies in Europe. That's pretty much a job for life. Then you move to the U.S. and you, especially the West Coast and all the Bay Area, and you discover this like energy, this incredible belief of people sitting in coffee shops thinking they can change the world and believe it or not some of them have changed the world no so question you, you 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 come you you literally grows in you and after 15 years within Campari in the u.s it, it just came the right time where i felt this is time for me to go out and try it on my own and and every risk that you think is gonna derail you when you're in europe here in America, you actually feel this, these risks are white spaces. These are opportunities to, to fulfill a demand that is not there yet. But it's just a question of fulfilling demand. It's not a question of, of, uh, of, of having to create new technologies. And I mean, this is just like, you're just following trends that are soon to happen. And you're just developing and creating brands for people who are looking for something different. And America is such a consumer-driven society that you know you have a chance. You know you have a shot at it. And it's more a question of, of believing you're, you're going to win. And, and don't look back. If you look back, you're losing focus on, on the target ahead. And, and it does require years, though, of, 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 of feeling comfortable, one with yourself, but within the industry. And the years I Campari really allowed me to to know how the industry operates in the U.S., know the key players, know the dynamics, what values consumers are, are looking into when they buy spirit brands. And, and so I felt like, okay, I don't have the big company and the structure behind, but I have the brains and maybe I have the creativity and I have the guts to try it. And uh, honestly, it's two years, best decision ever. But without the 15 years before, these two years would have been hell. Okay, so I have to. So this is interesting. So I didn't. I didn't think we would talk about this today because I didn't know. But talk a lot. Not all of our listeners have you know worked in Europe or even thought about a career in Europe versus the U.S. So before we jump into your company in more detail, talk about the culture of working there and then how it's different. I think our listeners would really appreciate that. Yes, I um, the the culture there allows for very long term. Um, family-oriented and, and employee-oriented taking care of basically culture where you know uh, you know you you are 
you're given clear tasks and you're given clear objectives and and you know that if you push a bit further you're going to go a bit faster but there are set rules to how much fast you can go and there's cultural norms that are still very strong so the when you're too young you just will not be invited to certain top level meetings and it's not nothing against you it's just the cultural norms and and being a a person who traveled the world you have to respect that there's not a good culture there's not a bad culture you just have to you're enter it's like entering somebody else's house you may not like the way they furnish it you may not like the building but right. you're entering somebody else's place you have to respect it sure. and and up to a point play to the rules of the game then you still have to stand up for what you believe but and so in europe the, there is really a uh, a culture of being taken care of and take taking care of now the, that's a great position to be in because it allows let's say there's a floor that that below which if you have a problem you won't go um but there's also a ceiling uh, that you won't go above either so the downside of that situation is that for the people the entrepreneurs who really want to think big and bigger than what society and culture allows it's impossible because the the the, the structure is set up in a way that doesn't really allow you and i just give you the example of banks to get credit from european banks on a new business and you're new and you're starting up it's very very hard in america a lot easier and um, so it really is it really is a very different approach now you can go to the extreme where they used to say in a, in communist russia that people pretend to work and the state pretends to pay them and so that's <laughs> that's how they operate but that's wow. let's say the extreme situation you move here it's more an open game and then all of a sudden your background your age your nationality all becomes elements of your personality that are part of the mix when you people have to invest in you but they are not judgments while you know i'm italian if i went to germany or france and started my own company by being italian i would bring with me the italian reputation which is good and bad or sure it's still italian there's a perception I'm in america right i'm italian and they're like cool i have a friend <laughs> who's from italy i right. have a friend who's from france right it's one of the elements but it doesn't define you That's what so defines you is what you achieve in europe it's still and again it's a continent that has had centuries of wars and battles and 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 it's hard to to move from a very national oriented and culturally based uh, economies to uh, just like a, a federal like the american one where everybody unites behind a flag sure in the end it's wow. just hard right wow that's so interesting that may have been worth the whole podcast right there well i I love it and uh i'm sure we could spend a whole hour on that um thank you for that so let's dive into your company um wolf spirit distillery so why the distill why the space Uh, you know i I love this product blood sweat and tears uh vodka i love tom of finland organic this is really cool i haven't tasted them yet i can't wait to but how did you decide to start into the space like why this industry and this so two 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 combinations one when I was at Campari, the biggest brand uh, still now within the company in the U.S. is a vodka called Sky Vodka. And 
and uh, I worked on it. Um, although it wasn't, I, I, I was more responsible of other brands for launching other brands, but Sky was so big anyway that you couldn't avoid it. But I've always um, looked at the vodka category with a, with a lot of fascination because I always felt it's incredible what, how American consumers are willing to spend money for a product that is in theory tasteless, flavorless, <laughs> colorless, and it's purely driven by packaging. Right, cool image. packaging. That's right. Yeah, because then you're mixing it with 25 other ingredients and you wonder right. if you actually... <laughs> and so I've always been intrigued by the challenge. And when I left Campari, I mean, all the trends were going towards brown spirits and tequilas. And, uh, and, and that's just how my character is. When everybody goes west, I go east. And, uh, and so I thought, you know what? It's still the biggest category in the industry. It's still growing at 2 or 3% a year, which adds pretty much the volume of tequila every year. So why not attempt something in the vodka space, uh, but take it in a very different manner? And the way Blood, Sweat and Tears came up is purely because that is a reflection of my journey and the journey of, of, of the distiller in, in Eugene, Oregon, Ben, who uh, is working with me on this. It's our journey in bringing this brand to life. So we named it purely out of what we thought this experience was turning out to be. And we were lucky enough to have the trademark free and available to, to get. Because one of the biggest, obviously, in consumer packaging, as you know, is of course trademark availability. Of yeah, course, they have the best idea, <laughs> but then all those trademarks are but all not available. Players. Exactly, yeah. another item that anyone not in the product business wouldn't realize. Right. So, blood, sweat, and tears. It's my journey to get this brand back to up to uh, selling, and in the end, it's everybody's journey in their life. I think all of us, you included, will have a story in your life about blood, sweat, and tears in doing something. And I think this taps into a universal value that when I thought about it, I thought, wow, this is so powerful. And this brand can actually mean so much to a lot everyone. I love um, the black bottle it, too, by the way. The packaging's and, awesome. And then I, exactly. And then I went completely opposite. It's like all the vodkas, it's about purity, crystal clear bottles and everything. And I'm like, no, I want to, I've always loved how packaging can be uh, a canvas to display creative stories and i thought why not use the bottle in that way go black and then design it in a way that every single element on that bottle has a true meaning of the story so you have elements there's a wolf in the in the bottle there's a, a pit bull dog because ben has a pit bull <laughs> the pickles in at the distillery there's elements of oregon there's elements of eugene there's obviously a skeleton there because I, uh, I, I, I created Espelon tequila when I was a Campari. Oh, nice, so, nice. So I had really the chance, the luxury and the privilege of being able to design a bottle how I wanted, wow. not how the CMO how wanted How the big company the wanted it. Exactly. You got to exactly. decide. So, okay. So got it. Anybody can go... F- you know, eventually figure out a brand and trademark it. Anybody can go and, and develop a package, but how did you figure out like how to make the product, get it produced, you know, that the manufacturing part of it that is also a unique thing. And then we can get to distribution after this, which is also unique. Sure. So basically, I mean, my thought was in the end, a lot of people are fed up with mass produce for the masses. Of course. So I wanted to do a vodka that never really been done before. And by that mean, 
rolling up your sleeves, making it crafted one batch at a time. We spot the next laundromat and we figured out a production technique maintaining it as vodka. Uh, production technique that gives it a unique character. There's no flavor, so we can't add flavors, but uh, through freeze filtering, we are basically adding it a bit more character to it. And the freeze filtering, the best way to explain it is like chicken. If you produce, if you cooked, prepared chicken soup, and when it's ready, you stick it in the freezer. You will basically have the fats separate from the solids. And if you eliminate all the fats, you're left with really the concrete part of the chicken soup. And in vodka, we are doing the same. After the distillation, we freeze it to 27 degrees Fahrenheit. And at that point, we are able to take off another layer of engineers and you're left with a, a stronger character to it, maintaining the same AT proof. So we are adding another step that adds basically another day and a half of production, which if you're a big company, it means money that you're putting on the table. It's absolutely bigger. Absolutely. For us, it allows us to make a different vodka out there. Now, I'll be the first one to say it. I'm not a marketing Yes, guy. So the moment you mix it with 12 ingredients, the blood, sweat, and tears won't stand out because you have too much. It's vodka. But if you try it neat and you're, or with an ice cube, you will definitely spot there's a, diff there's a difference. There's a character. And we purposely gave it the character so that it's very different from Tom of Finland, which is a vodka important from Finland. And, and that is a whole different, like, you, you have to imagine Scandinavia in a bottle, the whole, like, purity, crystal clear, smooth, very, very design-oriented um, product. I mean, so anyway, back to BSD. Th this is really how we built this brand on the product side. And we are getting incredible uh, reception from the markets and the distributors because we have a craft handcrafted vodka that can scale up production at sure. the national level. Wow. And in vodka, the, since since the big player, i.e. Tito's, right. there hasn't <laughs> been a handcrafted brand that right. was able to scale up nationally. Yep. I love sure. all the crafted brands out there because they help the community, they help the regions, and they keep the economy growing. But there's no one right now in vodka that can scale up at a national level. And this is what is excites the distributors that they can actually have a handcrafted vodka that they can sell from Oregon to Florida. Wow. Wow. That's pretty awesome. Now, one thing we have covered on other podcasts is the complexities of distribution, especially around liquor, beer, wine, etc. Obviously, you knew that from your other roles before this one. Uh, what about, you know, how did you enter that fray or figure that out initially, you know, with a new entrant in the market? So, the unfortunately, my, my relationships with distributors were, fortunately and unfortunately, were always <laughs> at the top level. So, talking with the big, big right. guys. The big guys will get you in. It's the lower level guys that will make things happen. And so where I struggled at the beginning was I was, I had this national agreement with Southern Wine and Spirits, oh, yeah, Southern, Southern Lasers, Lasers, the biggest yep. distributor, yep. obviously, in the country. But then I didn't know the people, the layer below to make things happen. And for that, Got it. you know, as an entrepreneur, you learn a lot. And uh, I realized I needed experts in the business. And I brought a team of, of commercially savvy and very experienced salespeople with whom I worked back in the days at Sky Vodka. 
that were available to join me in this adventure. And they took this brand to another level in terms of distributions because they know how to make this brand meaningful to a distributor. My role in the end as brand creator and marketer, if you want, is to make it appealing to the consumer and seduce the consumer. Ben's role is to just focus on making the best vodka out there that you can make. And then the sales team are really the ones who know all the behind the scenes that get one bottle from Eugene, a laundromat in Eugene, sure. to a store of Publix in Florida. To Got, give it. You an Got it. Oh, that's, that's amazing. And that's awesome. So one of the questions I love to ask, and I know you covered a couple of the biggest lessons learned as you've gotten this um, company off the ground and been launched is, you know, what are the biggest things you've had to overcome, um, the challenges you face and whatnot? Share with us another one or two of those, um, because I know that's something that would be super helpful for our audience. Yes, I think the, the other one is uh, don't lose faith. It's, ah, that's an it, interesting one. Yeah, this, I've... Um, I'm an ultra marathon runner oh. and, um, and I know what it means to, to push and stay focused on the long term because when you run a hundred miles, you you can't, you can't at 20 miles think of the 80 miles ahead. You, you really have to go one mile at a time, but know that there's an end and, and the end is going to happen and you're going to win. Now or succeed. <laughs> I wish I, I never won a race. But, <laughs> I, love, I get um, it. But honestly, that, that is the thing. When you're an entrepreneur, you need to know what is the, the point you're going to stop because you don't want to bleed forever. But you shouldn't waver in the short term because it's a, this is a marathon. This sure. is not a sprint. Sure. Well, that leads me to, I love that. And I mean, you've given us some great advice on the podcast today. One of the things I wanted to ask you is it's a crowded market, right? And, and distilling or in the spirit space, how do you differentiate and like, how do you get the, the message and the word out about your brands? So there's a, there's one way. One is obviously having the right distributor network and relationship because that helps you getting the product in front of consumers. And then my role is identifying what is that lifestyle that consumers are seeking when they buy a brand? What is the values they're hoping to buy into? Interesting. And honestly, any brand that we buy in any category, from soft drink to shoes to headphones to smartphones, <laughs> there's a reason why we are buying it. We look at that brand as a person and we... Sure. We get excited and disappointed in the same way that a person excites us or disappoints us. I could see that. And, uh, <laughs> and I, you need to identify, my role is really to identify what do I stand for, for a certain consumer target that I know wants to hear more about my story. But I need to clearly tell them what I stand for. And BST, i.e. the short version of Blood, Sweat, and Tears, stands for standing up for the misfits out there. The misfits is not a, a negative term. It's me included. Is all those people who need to to move out of the, the the world that contains them. It's it's that story of of not giving up, but also don't caring too much of what about other people think and and saying you know what the corporate world is too tight for me. I want to try my own. And you have a lot of people there who make up their own motorbikes, they paint their helmets, they are tattoo artists, they try their own craft, 
because they are tired of having society telling them what they should be doing. And there's a reason we we work spaces are so popular is because people don't need an office space anymore. They don't need society to tell them how to work, how to make money, and how to justify themselves in in the world. They want to be able to do it their own way. This brand, through its history and its true story, is a celebration to that. It's the celebration for the misfits out there who are trying to make a difference. Oh, I love that. That was worth the whole podcast also. My God, seriously, that is so cool. I love that because, I mean, it's so hard if you have a creative bent or it's just not easy to pursue that all the time or it's not easy to step out and have the the faith and the conviction and the, you know, be willingness to try it and, and fail, right? Or try it and succeed. And that's the, that's the tension, I guess, anybody that has that, that it's, it's a myth, misfit, as you call it, you know, faces in thinking about it. Yeah, totally. Right. Okay. Umberto, where can yes. our audience find you? How do they connect with you? Where can they buy your product? How do they figure out where to buy your products? I mean, give us the scoop. So the scoop is we are going to be pretty much in half of the country by the end of the year, but wow. more concretely, from California to Texas to Florida to Illinois to New York, Massachusetts, obviously all the Pacific Northwest. All the major retailers and just to name you know, the Publix, Total Wine and More, and, and uh, ABC in California, in uh, Florida, Safeway, Bonds, Albertsons in California. All the major retailers will carry this brand within the next sixty days. Our website, bstvodka.com, has the list of all the retailers, obviously where you can find the brand. And uh, and me, I'm on that website as well. You shoot an email. I respond personally because the reality is this is a staff of three people who are making yeah. things happen. Making it so happen. So we all, going. we answer every request. We have an Instagram page, Facebook account. It's a highly image-driven, obviously, brand because the packaging, as you, as you saw, it's very image-oriented. And we are growing. And hopefully we're taking with us consumers who want to grow with us. Uh, this is a journey that I started not to make money. I started because I needed to give a deeper meaning to, to my profession. I love it. I love it. Well, I, I love the story. I'm excited about your company and your brand. And I can't wait to see the growth. I'd love to have you back on as your company excels and, and develops new momentum over the next year and gets into those new geographies and whatnot. And, and I know you'll have a whole nother set of lessons learned through that. And so I look forward to having you back on the podcast. You've been very kind to have me on. It's very nice to tell my story. It's, it I love helps. It. I love it, man. I'm excited for you. Thanks so much. Thank you again. The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck. You can download additional ContenderCast episodes directly via the Apple iTunes App Store, the Google Play Store, Spotify, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the ContenderCast, connect with us at contenderbrands.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender. Contender.